Welcome to The Thought Hackers, the show where you will learn how your mind works and discover how to change your thinking from leading experts and through inspiring stories. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Nathan Siegel. I'm here with my colleague Hamish Baston out of Australia, and we are The Thought Hackers. With us today is a woman by the name of Carol Graham. She has survived the challenges of major illnesses, devastating personal losses, and financial ruin more than once, yet she has refused to become a victim. She writes for several monthly columns and various publications. She has been published in many anthologies, including a bestseller. In 2015, Carol received the Woman of Impact Award from Focus on Women magazine and author of the year for her memoir, Battered Hope. Carol hosts a bi-weekly show, Never Give Up Hope. She is an international keynote speaker, jewelry store owner, and is a certified health coach. Carol has five grandchildren and has rescued over 30 dogs. So Carol, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much, and I appreciate that, Hamish and Nathan, for being here on the Thought Hackers today. Uh, it's our pleasure to have you. So, so for those who are, are listening to us right now, can you take us on a on a bit of a journey in, into your past as to how as to what happened and how you developed the mental strategies that kept you from becoming a victim? Well, that is one loaded question. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> that was a whole idea. <laughs> there are 12 chapters in my book, Battered Hope, and the, that entails 12 major traumas with several small ones. So... <laughs> It's a little difficult to to take a couple minutes and zero in on anything in particular. But saying that to say this, that I have never, ever given up hope. No matter what I went through, no matter what I had endured, no matter what was thrown at me, no matter if it was my mistake or not, I always had the attitude that I will get through. I will come out a better person, I will be stronger, and maintaining that attitude probably came from a strong family childhood. And even though my mother was very ill and died when I was a teenager, I still understood that whatever happens in life, we can make the best of it if we choose to, and that was it. It's a matter of choice. It's a matter of whether or not you have a pity party and nobody shows up, or you have your pity party and, and go through the next day and realize that things aren't so bad. Mm. So that it's basically, to answer that question, would be attitude. Yes, and what I'm curious about is how did you develop it? Because like, was it already there? Did you, like a, an, an innate thing that was just there already? Or did it develop over a period of time? I can't really answer that, Nathan, um, to be honest, because I think I was very young. I think I was just a child. As I mentioned, my mother was sick my entire life, and I watched her suffer. I watched her strength. I watched my father pick up and never complain. And so I think that's that comes from 
my environment? Mm. I don't know. I've never been asked that before, actually. So that's a very interesting question. But again, as I mentioned in the last question, it is a matter of choice because I can choose to be angry about those circumstances or not. I can choose to have a pity party or not. I can choose to blame someone or not. And whether, you know, I make it my choice, I can't tell you where that came from. Possibly it is innate. Possibly it was from my upbringing. But it has gotten me through life. And I think another key issue here is I've always forgiven. Because if you do read my my book, there is every chapter, you know, most people get very angry and say, how did you make it through? Why, you know, how did you manage not to have, you know, want to go kill somebody, (laughs) you know, or whatever, and not retaliate in some way. And it was my choice to forgive because otherwise I'm only hurting myself anyway. So it, it probably is upbringing and just an innate sense that I'm responsible for what I do in my own attitude. Yeah. Agreed. This choice Nathan, as as you know, it's it, it comes up so often in these in these interviews mm-hmm. that the choice we have and the choices we make. Like I said, you've got you've got the two paths to go, Dan. You can be in that pity party, or you can um, having not and just recognizing the choices. So so many people yes. can't. They're so stuck in that problem, in the challenge, in the issue that they can't see any choices. How, what would you, what would be your advice to that sort of to people in that place to to get to that place where you can make a choice where you do see the choices? I think it comes down to perspective and having a positive attitude because we're right back to you know the last question. If I choose to have a pity party and constantly blame others, then that's where I'm going to live. And so it's it's where I want to live. I don't want to live in negativity. Mm. I want to live in positivity. And so whatever happens, I say, okay, what can I learn from this? How can I how can I spin this so that I can help somebody else? And the more trauma that I experienced over the years, believe it or not, the easier it became. Because that doesn't take away from the fact that you are hurt. And you certainly, you know, you you ask the question, why? And why does this keep happening? And, and, and why are, you know, people doing this to me or whatever? But you don't stay there. Yep. And I think that is the key. It's where you, your choice is that you don't stay there. You still recognize it for what it is. You work it out, you know, in your own mind. And you don't choose to stay in that negativity. I've seen too many people be literally destroyed along with destroying destroying relationships and uh, marriages and everything else, mm. even their jobs, because they they want to make it um, all about them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, as you said, the thing about the pity party is uh, it's a very common thing. And certainly I've had my own experiences of it. And the I, I mean, for me, just a quick side note, I mean, a number of years ago, when I was going through this and I was in a lot of pain, I reached out into my network. I asked for a copy of the book, A Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And when I read a number of chapters, I got to a point where I realized that all the suffering in my life was self-generated, self-created. Mm, yes. And when I realized, and the other big part of it was realizing that since it was self-created, I could not blame anybody else for what was going on. Then the challenge is, okay, well, how do I stop suffering? How do I stop doing what I'm doing? And that is part of what's led us to 
where we are today and talking with you. And as you say, and, and it's, it's so true, it's, the, it's a decision, it's a choice. And then beyond making the choices, living in that way where you don't create further suffering for yourself. Yep. <laughs> Good point. Carol, quick, it's for some people listening, they might be thinking, well, okay, it's okay to say that you've made a choice and you can that decision's there and the attitude. Uh, you haven't been what I've, what, what I've been through and there's going to be so many stories that they're going to be stuck, on, stuck with and uh, the challenges that they've had. Can you, I'm, I'm just having a look at the information with the challenges, that, the, the stuff that you've been through to give people a real understanding of your journey and the challenges that you have had. Can you just briefly run through them? Because there's quite, quite a list there. <laughs> well, probably one of the pivotal places in my life would be one of the first choices I made. And that is when I sat in a doctor's office after many, many years of suffering and not knowing what was wrong with me. And the doctor finally had uh, the outcome to the various tests that I had gone through. And I was excited because I thought, oh, great. Finally, someone is going to, after 17 or more doctors, finally someone is going to determine what happened, what is going on with me so that I can, you know, get better. And so as I sat at his desk and he said the big C word, and I thought, my goodness, I'm in my 20s. You know, there's no way I'm going to be dying of cancer. And it was uterine cancer. And the only thing I ever wanted to be in life was a mom and wife. Mm -hmm. So to have that taken away when he said, uh, you have a choice. And I thought, oh, great. You know, choices are good. This is a good thing. Yeah. What, drug, what drug can I take? And the choices were hysterectomy or death. And I thought, well, hmm, if I have a hysterectomy, I won't have a baby. And if I'm dead, I certainly won't have a baby. Hmm. So I don't like those choices. And basically, that's what I said to him as a young woman. And he's an esteemed um, uh, gynecologist, you know, with all the records on the wall and <laughs> certificates. And I'm thinking, who do you think you are? And I said, I don't like your choices. And he said, you actually, he stood you up actually from, said that to him. I actually said that to him. <laughs> A spunky little thing. My husband awesome. sitting. <laughs> my husband sitting there going, "Yeah, that's her." So anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, he stood up from behind his desk. He literally shook his finger in my face as he leaned over and he said, "Then, lady, you go home. You suffer and you die." Wow! Wow! And that was what not my. That was yes, but that wasn't my response. My response was something rose up at that moment within me, and I thought. Well, I won't tell you what I thought, but basically, I will prove you wrong. I didn't know from nothing. I didn't have a clue. All I knew were doctors and medication. I didn't know that there could be an alternative, but I was going to prove him wrong because nobody is going to tell me, A, that I'm not going to have a baby, and B, that I'm going to die. So... I left, and as I'm walking out the door, I spun on my heel, turned around, I glared at him, and I said, I will walk in here pregnant. Cool. Now, 14 years later, I did that. <laughs> that that's really cool. I mean, I really, I, I, I like your attitude a lot, because if for those people who are listening, there are many people who revere doctors and treat them in a way as if they're gossip. But they're not. They're human just like we are. They make mistakes. Their word isn't written in stone. And that you had the gumption and the, the, the nerve to stand up and say to this guy, I'm not going to let this happen. And proved him wrong. I, I love stories like this. 
Well, another thing is it took a while to find, you know, the resources that I needed to to change my journey. But as a result, and in those 14 years, by the time I was finally pregnant, I was known as Dr. Fertility (laughs) because I got every woman pregnant that wanted to get pregnant. I knew that there was there, you know, the same thing that was happening to me and would happen to me when I did get pregnant finally because my body then healed itself. You know, I gave it the tools to do that. I knew that I'd be able to help other women, and so it began uh, a decade, many decades now of helping women not only get pregnant, but also people in general just realize optimum health. That never would have happened if I had not been diagnosed with cancer. That never would have happened if I had said, okay, and had a hysterectomy. It happened because I knew there had to be another way. And that was when I said it was a pivotal point. I also realized as other things happened in my life, those two did not have to make who I was or who I was going to be. I had the choice to change and uh, change my surroundings, my environment, whatever needed to be done in order to become the person that I wanted to be with within that particular scenario. You asked me um, some of the other things. I I was raped as a young woman and because I was in the wrong place at the wrong time driving home late one night from work, I was left for dead. And that was Um, that was gang raped. Yes, that was gang rape. That's correct. I, um, my husband and I had um, two very thriving businesses, international businesses, both of them, and both times two completely different set of circumstances. Our partners stole the business uh, deviously out from under us without us realizing it, um, and, and we were left virtually penniless. Um, one of those times, my husband was um, in South Africa when he got the news that our bank accounts were completely um, emptied, that our, all of our holdings were gone, all of our real estate was gone, all of our inventory. And we're talking back in the 70s, and $100,000 in inventory was a lot of money. Yeah. And on and on and on, and it was all gone. And I was in the hospital with spinal meningitis. They didn't know how that happened. My husband's on the other side of the world. And I had the very strong impression that I needed to call him to make sure he was okay. Middle of the night in the hospital, I dialed the phone number. I didn't even know what it was. I asked the nurse for a phone and I dialed the number, literally. And um It was the President Hotel in Johannesburg, South Africa. I asked for my husband's room. He answered the phone. He sounded extremely distraught and very, very quiet. I asked him what was wrong, and he was quiet. Mm -hmm. I said, did Dad call you? Because it was my father-in-law who had called to tell me that this had happened. And he said, yes. And so I began to encourage him and telling him, this is not the end of the world. We're young. We can start over. Yes, we've lost everything, but what can we learn from this? And I began to to talk him down, even in the state that I was in, and you know, very uh, sick in the hospital. And the craziness, the craziest part of the whole thing, what he said to me is, of the very moment, the very moment that the phone rang, he was standing on the balcony ledge on the nineteenth floor, ready to jump. When the sound of the phone stopped him. Wow. Wow. So these are, you know, <laughs> yeah. 
when these kind of things happen in your life, you yeah. know you're here for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's interesting what you said because and for the listeners here, I, I want to underscore something very important. That sometimes when we form relationships, we dial into our partner so deeply and so completely that there's quite a strong connection Mm -hmm. so that if something is wrong with our partner wherever they are in the world we can sense it we know it and if we act on it as you did then you it's at that that key that pivotal moment and it's really important for those of you who are listening this kind of thing like many people will say oh that's coincidence oh that's no it's not the illusion in this world is that we're separate we're not we can't possibly be we're all on the same planet where everything's interconnected and if we allow ourselves to feel that deeper connection this is how you were able to sense with your husband that whatever it was that something was wrong and you called him and that's what happened that's right absolutely and it happened another time in the book too it was that (laughs) so your journey from from all that, I think I'm just looking at what you've got written. It's pretty much that's pretty much all the stuff. There was the the, the illness. Well, we lost we we lost a child too. Oh, so that's that right, was the another, child. And yes, and yes. and so what you know, that's another whole area in the yes. book where women who have well, not just women, but people who have lost children can really gain strength and encouragement from. Yes, wonderful. It's uh, and quite a journey. Like I said, you know, it's you know about the choices. You've got the your your you're qualified to say, you know, you get to these points in in your life and you can make a choice. Even to, you know, to be talk, talking to your husband when he was um, in, in South Africa and saying, you know, we have a choice. We can, we can redo this. We can rebuild this. It's all we can jump yeah. off the balcony. Um, but, you know, the choices that you make um, have clearly got you to where you are now. It's What's the to where you are now? Knowing that you're a, a certified health coach and a symptomologist, can you go into that a little bit and tell us about what you do with with the work that you do? A symptomologist basically is like the dashboard of your car. When the body has things going wrong, just like on the, your car, yep. the lights go on. Wow! What a great way of putting it. And when a lot of lights are on, (laughs) you're usually on the side of the road. When one light comes on, you may choose to ignore it. Well, unless it's the engine light, you know, but just the left turn signal isn't working or whatever. You know, we choose to ignore the little things. What a symptomologist does is I look at all symptoms. I have a three-page form that I have people tick off various symptoms. And what it does is it paints a picture of what is really going on. Because in general, the medical profession usually will put band-aids on these symptoms and the difference is is and not they they don't all do that i'm just saying in general and the difference is is what i do what a symptomologist does is they look at all the symptoms see what it could possibly be um you know painting the bigger picture and then we do address the symptoms individually but also you know as a whole and if somebody for example is dead bone tired well why is it because they're not getting sleep or is it because there's something going on i've had i've had people come to me with um 
symptoms of extreme fatigue and they had been diagnosed with uh, chronic fatigue syndrome and really all they needed to do was detox their liver. Mm-hmm. But they, you know, they, they get to, they go on a variety of, of whether it's drugs or antidepressants or pep pills of, of one form or another and all they're doing is, or too much coffee, and all they're doing is trying to you know, mask the symptom yeah. rather than, oh, I need to detox my liver. So these are the kind of things that I'm able to see. Detox is a huge, huge thing that yes. we need to look at in, in getting better health. health. And also just r- going right back to the beginning when you asked me, I think that having, um, you know, when we're talking about attitude, I believe that so much of that comes from good health. Because I am in very good health at my age. Well, even for any age, actually. Someone asked me today who's 30 years younger than me, where the hell do you get your energy? (laughs) (laughs) And it's real energy. It's not pseudo energy. I'm not a coffee drinker, you know, or or I'm not using energy from outside sources. I have energy because I'm healthy. And so that's what I want to offer people is optimum health and the opportunity to have that. And that's mental as well as physical, yep. of course. And and, there were, and, I, and I'm really glad that you were talking about that because I wanted to loop back to something you were saying to do with what you were doing with your husband and so on and the way that you got through this. And it's, it's just something I wanted to touch on because many of the people that we've encountered, they've wound up in caught or stuck in the victim mentality. And one of the things that I discovered personally is just a short aside is that one of the reasons they get stuck in this is because they think that there's no solution. And what I discovered from my own thing is sometimes they just don't know how to ask the questions. And then they give up before they begin. Have you encountered that? I don't think so. Because as okay. I mentioned, even as a young woman, you know, when uh, it's just probably not in my nature, but even I, when I, I meant with I meant with your clients. I'm sorry, I, I oh, didn't mean with oh, you. Oh, oh, okay. I didn't um, ask that correctly. Okay, now you're going to have to ask me again. Just so. okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. It, it's just something that it was sitting in my mind. And I thought I, we need to talk about it. Have you discovered with some of your clients that they get stuck in a victim mindset? not because they're actually victims, but simply because they don't know how to ask the questions that they need to get the results that they, they're after. I'm not sure if, I, if that would be my answer because I'm thinking okay. of very, various people in my life who, I'm like a, somebody put it, you're like a, um, what's the word, a um, pity, party, no, pity party magnet. It's people who seem to be going through the roughest of times. They find me. (laughs) And I think that one of the reasons is because those kind of people, first of all, as the saying goes, people don't care how much you know. They want to know how much you care. And when you have that attitude that, you know what, I really care about you. And when they come into my office, it's evident from the moment they walk in that this is about you. It's not about me. It's not about what's on the degrees on my wall. This yeah. is about you. How can I help you? And that attitude shows them that they can speak freely. And so, yes, they they will pour their hearts out. And my husband has often said, you need to get a DR in front of your name and hang a shingle. And, you know, that, 
basically that's what you're doing without a license because people will gravitate to when they know someone really cares and they can get help. And so often that comes from the physical first. And so we we deal with the physical, with the things that could be causing them such grief and distress and in their lives and get that turned around. And the mental seems to follow. That makes sense. Yes. Yeah. So in in terms of what you do on a daily basis, like do you have one or more daily habits that keep you keep you on track for lack of a better description? On track for uh, in terms of your mental attitude. I'm a workaholic. <laughs> I work seven days a, a week. I work when I sleep. You know? <laughs> I that wasn't quite what I meant, but okay. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I think sleep is a complete waste of time. I just am always I'm always working. I like to surround myself with positive energy, positive people, positive things, positive food intake. Um, no, that's not that's not the not the answer you were looking for, but <laughs> No, it's not. It's like okay, but I might ask it in a different. I think I'm going to ask a question in a little different way for a similar thing, and I think it's more if if uh, someone listening to you is in a place where they're uh, the the trauma's got that they're overwhelmed, they're anxious, they're depressed, whatever it is that they're really in that low place. What would be your number one advice to help them to change that state to help them start moving forward from that? I don't think there's a simple compact answer to that because okay. I get that a lot, especially online with mm-hmm. the various uh, posts that I write, uh, whether it's on health or um, my lifestyle blog, which which talks a lot about um, pain and suffering and hurting, you know, within within our own lives. Yeah. Um, I know come, it's, as, it's you know, as individual as what the challenge yes, is. Yes, it is individual. Person. And so... I think that I think what I do is I spend a lot of time with everybody and they appreciate that and whether they are a client or not makes no difference. I have I can think of many people right now two women on the on the east coast who are in dire straits emotionally and they just can't seem to um you know to come out from under it. Yeah. But you you hold their hand, you walk through the journey with them. I don't think there's you know without giving anything away, I don't think there's any one fix. I mean, there are many people like me out there who are are willing to help. And if you need that, find it. You know, if you if if you become overwhelmed with what you're going through, I've been there. I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to take my car and and drive it as fast as I can into a cement wall so that I wouldn't have to feel the pain anymore. I've been there and had my car literally like the steering wheel taken out of my hands and veered the other direction. So I know that pain I understand that pain and that's what I can relate to that this is not the end of the road when you're going through this there are solutions there are answers and there are people that can and will help you and that's what and that's where I was going with my question you just answered it right now and you have and you've answered mine too and you said that you don't know if there is one answer but you gave a very you know you've given some great advice there and there is help out there you do need to go and find it to help you change where you're at to take you on that journey forward that's um there's plenty of people yeah that's right yeah yeah 
Tell us a bit about your book, Battered Hope. Battered Hope was suggested, the title and the cover, by my daughter because when she was 16 years old, she said, Mom, write your story. My generation needs to hear your story. And that was the result of her watching me even as, you know, a young child and and uh, through her teenage years where she realized that people need to know that, they're, that they don't have to um, go through trauma and not have hope. And battered hope meaning that often when I would think, this is it, now we're, we're going to make it this time, everything's going to be okay and we're going to, this business is going to fly or, you know, we are going to have a child or whatever. And then hope would be beaten and broken and bruised and battered. And yet, as long as there is one thread, I would hold on to that and just literally not give up hope, which is my podcast never ever give up hope and there's many people out there who have been in that place who they just didn't give up and so battered hope is written as a novel it is definitely a nail biter it starts with uh, me being arrested and then that isn't answered until the seventh chapter what happened to that one (laughs) (laughs) but it's written as a novel very compelling riveting i have it's five star reviews all the time i'm thrilled with it i did not have any idea it was going to be this big and it is because with so many different traumas in it so many different types of people can relate and essentially that's it Mm. awesome and i like what you said about the beginning about the arrest and then it doesn't get resolved until much later and i've encountered that writing device before and it's a really great way of reeling people in and keeping them there (laughs) that's right (laughs) well i'm I'm a writer too not not in that way and i've often thought that i should do something different with my own journey and and turn it into some sort of fictionalized account which may be better who knows um but i like what you did well this was no fiction <laughs> I, I get it i get it you, you know, i know you what know, you're you, saying though you know what i mean yes um, more of a novel that's what you know it definitely is written the story as a novel and so, that's a kind of that's a kind of writing that i i cater to to you know that i gravitate to rather is is stories because people like stories they relate yes, to stories. Yeah, very much. Especially if the stories are well told. Exactly. My father gave me 25 cents if I could shut up for five minutes. <laughs> and I never earned it. And he told me, you are the greatest storyteller. I, I, he, was a, he was a minister and I was preaching at three years old off from the pulpit because I had a story to tell. And so <laughs> he said, you, what you should do, and he, he's, he died 35 years ago. He said, what you should do in life is you should start interviewing people. <laughs> and, <Yeah>. I, I, <laughs> and because everybody has a story and I love to hear stories. People love stories. So that's what I do. Yeah. And it's part of the reason why we're here doing this, because right. I've, I've had the opportunity to interview people from all over the world, and I, I love the stories. I learn so much, especially if I know how to ask the right questions. And <laughs> and now, of course, you're being tag-teamed by both Hamish and me and asking our questions, and so we're able to bring more richness out 
because between the two of us, we can really, well, get what we came for, as the expression goes. And speaking of that, we were just talking about your book. So where do people get more information about you? Where do they get in touch with you if they want a session? Oh, yeah. And you also said you were going to make an offer to do with what your work. The best way to get a hold of me would be um, batteredhope at gmail.com. And if you look at my name, Carol Graham, um, my show, my my um, my blog posts, etc., are still the number one Google search in any of those areas regarding hope. And so I'm very easy to find. Uh, all they have to do is email me, and I, you know, I hear stories. I mean, I hear stories of people who um, are literally at their last. At, at their wits end as to what they can do to improve their life and improve especially physically and it seems to be that the people with the most horrendous stories those who the doctors have totally given up on are the ones that find me and I don't know how that happens but I'm glad it does because yeah. I I do offer um, my services as I'm offering uh, today on this on this podcast that I will spend the time, do the research, and connect with you regarding your own health issues, and that would be for uh, the individual to complete the health appraisal that I will send to them via email, and then I will give them my assessment. They are not under any obligation. We can then do a a Skype call, and I can see if you know if I can help them. I do offer them results, and I think that's a bigger offer than I ever received from a lot of sources in my life is a complete and total guarantee of results. So batteredhope at Gmail, that's the easiest. So they just emailed you to start that that assessment? Yes, yes, absolutely. um, That's awesome. Maybe put onto the subject line that uh, they heard this interview. Okay. Yep. Excellent. We'll yeah. put all the links up for them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been really nice having you on the show. It's been fun talking with you again, reconnecting with you, listening to you. Um, I like very much what you've shared with our audience tonight. Very well, I thank, I thank both of you for having me on. Um, there's the old adage that says people love talking about themselves. So... <laughs> <laughs> When you have got such a valuable story to share, don't, well, that's stop, what don't I stop hope. talking. Yes, <laughs> that's what I hope. And there is, you know, when, when we help others, we are helping ourselves. And, and when, we, when we share, you know, our stories, we're helping other people. And uh, that's my mission. That's my passion. And it will always be, I'm sure. So I thank you, uh, both Hamish and Nathan, for having me on Thought Hackers. And I look forward to hearing it. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah. We, we will definitely have it on the site. I, I'm not sure of the timing, but we will have it on. Uh, the timing is under Hamish's control. And maybe <laughs> love, love to have you back sometime as well. And, uh, yeah. Take a different tack and tact and sort of, yeah. It's been fantastic having you, Carol. Thank you. Okay. Thank you again. You're most welcome. So for those of you who have been listening, my name is Nathan Siegel. I'm here with my colleague Hamish Baston out of Australia. We are the Thought Hackers. And with us tonight has been Carol Graham. So thanks for being with us, and we will speak to you again soon. 
you've been listening to The Thought Hackers. Make sure you subscribe and get each new episode emailed straight to you so you don't miss a show. And have a look at our resources page where you will find programs, audios and books that will create change in your thoughts.